Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. about the series as we, as we had discussed last year and they fashioned it and it's this, this question, how do we become the best people for your neighbors could ever hope to live next to? Does that make sense? How, how could we become those people? Um, Sharon and Keith have the most amazing neighbors. It's us. And sometimes I'm, it's off now in my office and I'm working I just hear my boys on the trampoline that is strategically positioned at the back of our house, very far away from my study, but pretty close to Sharon's kitchen. And, and it's my boys on the trampoline. Auntie, Sharon, we want sweets. And they do that for about 45 minutes until Sharon comes out. So I think we are good neighbors. But it's this unbelievable challenge. How do we become those neighbors that change people's lives, that change the neighborhood? That we get stuck and we understand that we're there for a reason. And people go, actually, my life is better because these guys are next door to us. Had the incredible privilege of going to one of our neighbors in our road's funeral this week. A 41-year-old man who's been on dialysis for six years. And he passed away. He's got a wife and two kids, twins age 11. And it was an Afrikaans funeral. Every single word was in Afrikaans, the whole funeral. How was the funeral for you, Maria, who doesn't speak Afrikaans? Was it all right? But you know what? There was one English contribution in the whole day, from the preacher to the speeches to everyone. The brother gets up right at the end, moved and emotional and God doing stuff in him, and he begins to speak English. I'm like, wow, that's different. And he takes time out to honor Maria and my wife, Candace who'd gathered ladies from this church and a few ladies from the class and the school and gathered people around and organized a roster and organized, I don't know, a couple weeks of meals for this lady who's lost her husband and their two kids. And this brother spoke in English, broken English, of honor and love. And he, and he just said, please, would you remain there for her? Got to be honest. We just, we do lift clubs with these people. It's not like we've had meals. And yet when... It's like all of a sudden the the love and the dynamic begins to operate, and you can feel God is in the mix here. Yeah. Can we be those guys consistently as the church? Yeah. And um, there's a power for this. In Acts one verse eight, Jesus is speaking. He's saying, "Wait, he says, but you will receive power." To be my witnesses, this takes power. It takes power to make meals for people ongoingly. It, it takes you've got to have power because you know why. Sometimes we struggle to put meals on the table for our own kids. We're like, flip, we have to feed them again. They eat all day, and now you've got to think about someone else. Just being honest, is that too honest? We love our children. Love them. But sometimes it's not convenient. Sometimes I need power. Sometimes I need God to get deep inside of me and stir me. But you will be, receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Nothing in the Bible is coincidental. It's not a coincidence. He says, start. And he says, in Jerusalem, my culture, my people, those closest to me, table view. Why plant a church in Milneton, down the road, slightly different demographics, slightly different? Because actually that's our Judea, our Samaria. No, Judea. 
Because God calls us to be a people who are good at witnessing. Because he says, I will give you the power to be a witness to your Jerusalem, to your Judea, to your Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as you move this way, you're going from those who are in your space, in your world, and you will see continuously, to those you will hardly ever see. But when you do, they'll have different cultures, different backgrounds, different religions, different ways to you. And I want to give you power for that journey. We need that power for this story. See, sometimes I think there's a bit of a challenge in the earth. We love the ends of the earth more than we love Jerusalem. I've got to be honest and say I was good at it. I went on mission trips all over the place. Zimbabwe, Mozambique. International. Out of town. And I could, it was easy to go. And all of a sudden, you're in Tanzania. I'm in Dar es Salaam. I'm worshiping. And I'm the big evangelist. And I'm, I'm leading worship. And then you go back to my town, Durban. And it's, sometimes I'm so good at praying for the sick in the sick wards of hospitals because I kick into a missionary zone rather than just the daily walking and encountering a sick person going, this is who I am. Sometimes it's easier to send money to the ends of the earth for someone who's in trouble over there and we totally overlook our neighbor who just happens to be homeless. I don't know about you, but this has got to get inside me because the Bible promises me I'll have power for this journey, this journey, this journey, and this journey. I can't choose which one I want to be good at. That's the gospel. The gospel's got to start close to home. But you know what? It's harder here. I think. Maybe your immediate family. Maybe your neighbors. See, if you engage your neighbor, what happens sometimes? They want to keep talking. It's a radical thing. They want to keep talking. Had this older lady who had a, had a, a, a condition. We used to live next door to Durban. And if I'm being brutally honest, sometimes I was just too tired. I would turn my car lights off as I was getting closer to the garage. And you kind of freewheel in like a ninja. Just looking, see if her curtain opens. Didn't open. I'm good. You open the door. Walk back home. Keys out. As you open the door. Hello. Hi. And I'm like, ah. Because it's harder sometimes. Because it's consistent. Because it's demanding. Because people get in your lives and you know what? They can see your faults. When you get angry and chaffy, when I'm in Dar es Salaam and I'm preaching and I'm ministering, they don't know my daily reality. But in this space, it's harder. And I want to say, sometimes we get tired for this mission. And it's easier to do this mission well. Hebrews 12, which is after these great heroes of faith, in Hebrews 11, and, and we get called to this amazing scripture. It says, let us... Sorry, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Run with perseverance, sorry. The race marked out for us and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the pioneer of our faith. I love the scripture for so many reasons. But there's this encouragement, run your race with perseverance. Why? Because I'm telling you, sometimes this mission, my personal mission, I get tired for. You know why? Because this one demands patience. This one demands consistency of character. This one demands God dealing with me. I live in a suburb, and on Friday morning, the rubbish gets picked up. 
So we put our stuff out and I, there's a man who's taken upon himself to park at the entrance of one of the roads and make sure people don't walk down that road. And on one hand, the selfish, self-protective individual inside of me with prejudice and smallness goes, well, he's serving the community, if I'm being honest. On the other hand, there is an absolute brokenness that for somehow, some reason, man can think we are more important than we are. For somehow, some reason, man can think one man is more important than another. And I have two prayers. One, that God would give me a strategy to love this man who is so burdened by prejudice or whatever it is, he feels the need to stand on a corner on a Friday morning shooing people away. And on the other hand, I pray, God, make my heart bigger for your people because I'm called to this mission. It's not my mission. It's every one of our mission. And we have this dichotomous reality. As a pastor and a preacher, I don't lose energy for this. To be honest, there's an adrenaline reality in public speaking and ministering and leading worship. Adrenaline can kick in. And I can, I've preached before. I don't get tired of this. I don't get tired of sitting with people and engaging people. But sometimes, and I think it happens to all of us, the endurance we need is actually for personal mission. We can come together and fast together to pray, but my endurance to do it on my own and pursue God on my own is limited and lacking. And I've got to plug back into the power that is Acts 1 verse 8 and say, God, I need that. And it looks like patience and patience and kindness. And you've heard me say it before. But I didn't like Gabe, who's 10 years younger than me, coming to me last year, saying, when you spoke to Candace the other day, I just noticed you were harsh with her. I don't want that to be my testimony with my wife. It can't be. Because a week before, I read Philippians, I said, let your gentleness be evident to all. So I sit at robots and it's, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. And I walk in the home and it's like, Kenz, what has happened here? I don't know that my three-year-old threw up on the couch and I don't know that. And I'm saying, God, actually, I need your Acts 1 verse 8 power inside of me so I can be a witness to my Jerusalem, which is first my home. I've got little kids that are watching every step. We get tired on the mission sometimes, and the truth is we can split it. And I, I just want to share a few things about endurance for personal mission. Personal mission. I'm not talking about your ability to do church. I'm, I'm doing church. I'm doing life group. I'm, I'm doing my devotion. I'm talking about mission. I'm talking about you're at work, and, and you're not in sight five praying for someone. You're at work, and they're in trouble, and you are on mission to love them. And let me take something off you. I think sometimes we so believe that my job is to take someone over the threshold of salvation that unless I'm prepared to do that whole journey, I don't even start. So I don't even love people. I don't give time to people. Because what if I can't do that? Then I failed. And I want to tell you that's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And that's the blood of Jesus' job. Your job is to love them so they want to move there. And they're going, what is it? Just love people. Wally Gerstmeyer has wrecked my life. Just be honest. 
I've had to, even on this time away, do some soul search. Say, God, what is it? What have you changed in these three years of us being in Cape Town? Can I be honest with you? I'm not sure that as a preacher, I always loved those who were far from God. Can I be that honest? I loved the church, worship for days, loved worshiping God. I'm not sure that John 3.16 and the ambit of that love gripped my heart. And I'm not sure I plugged into the Acts 1 verse 8 power to love the world. Because my Bible says God so loved the world. And I hung around with a man who just loves people so much. And I want to just talk about, I want to give you a quick story and then challenge. And I'm taking a little bit more. But this guy, Peter Jenkins, he wrote a book. I walk across America, and in that book, he describes a story. He was 22 years old, and he walked across America. And you know what happened on that journey when you walk for, for five and a half thousand miles or whatever it is? You walk through desert, you walk through storms, you walk. He, he, he was walking, and someone threw a beer bottle out of a car, hit him in the head. Someone rode over his dog. I mean, everything that could have happened happened to this guy. And you think, well, that's going to stop him. That's going to stop him. And they interviewed him, and they said, well, what? When were you closest to giving up? You see, my Bible says in Hebrews 12, endure. Endurance, endurance. He says, you know what? It wasn't when I got hit in the head. It wasn't when someone wrote of my dog that I loved that was my only friend on the journey. It wasn't any of those things. It was the hidden thing people couldn't see. It was the sand in my shoe. And I just couldn't get it out. Maybe, maybe it's not you, but I know. Sometimes on the journey of life, the journey of public mission and personal mission, sometimes sand gets in our shoes. On personal mission, sometimes you prayed for someone for years, they didn't even know it, and nothing happens. So a bit of sand gets in your shoe. Maybe you've trusted God for breakthrough. You've trusted Him for a spouse, and it hasn't happened. And a bit of sand gets in your shoe. No one can see. It's no obvious sin. No big disqualifying moment. No bottle to the head just wearing you down and your inability to endure, to run the race, marked out, begins to affect our personal mission, begins to make us smaller, begins to keep Christians in boxes because we don't have the energy for the race. And people look at us and they think it's all good on the outside, but the thing they can't see is there's sand in our shoes. You know what it looks like? Hidden sin. Wayne, if you didn't listen to the preach, Wayne's preached last Sunday morning about prejudice. He, He mentioned prejudice. Please have a listen. It's got, to, it's got to get inside of us. It's got to rip us apart. It's got to challenge us. I look at David in 1 Samuel, and King David was this amazing king, but he fell greatly. So much so he had an affair, had the lady's husband killed, a whole bunch of stuff. But I look at that and say, I don't think it started by one sight of someone. A man doesn't start by going out and throwing his life away. It starts with the little ill disciplines and the hidden sins. A little bit of just checking this on the internet later night when no one's around. The little bit of entertaining this little bit of sin with the tax guy. Because no one will know. It's just sand in our shoes that breaks down our race and our ability to run. Is that all right? Samson, I don't, it wasn't Samson kind of, Samson who tore down buildings with his bare strength and God's anointing on his life. It wasn't some big foe or an army that took him down. It was just little Delilah 
daily, cutting him away. Just a bit of sand in his shoes. And Jesus, in this personal mission, see, sometimes when the sand in our shoes, we get so obsessed with something people can't see, our energy gets sapped by such a small thing. I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I had a bad habit of plucking toenails. So I got something called ingrown toenails. Do we have any people who have been affected? Not right now, you're not infected right now. Gabe nearly died from an ingrown nail in his finger. It's a true story. And um, <laughs> nearly died, I okay? Close to death. It was. And, um, but if you've had an ingrown toenail in your toe, you will know the excruciating pain of a silly little thing at the end of your toe and how that one thing can completely limit your walk. It's no different with my mission. It's no different what God has called me to do, to love my neighbor. See, Jesus walked and, and he saw 10 lepers. And he ministered them and, and sends them off and they get healed. One comes back. But there's this amazing line in verse 4. He says, when he saw them. Do you still see people? Let's not talk about love thy neighbor. If when we look at people, we either see targets or something to avoid. Targets like, I'm on a mission. I'm going to target these people. On the other side, I don't really care about the mission, so I don't care about people. So we've got to deal with these things. What about prejudice? And I've I mentioned a couple of prejudices this morning, but I want to mention a prejudice that is exclusive to the church. I saw those eyebrows, Emma, just, hmm, this is going to be good. It's one for us. It's a prejudice against unbelievers who just don't happen to be like us. It's going to limit the mission. It's going to limit our ability to love people. It keeps us in boxes, small. When I look at salvation, gospel, that comes from the word yasa, it means salvation. It keeps us small. And I've said it from this pulpit before, and I'm not advocating any of these things. I'm just telling you, if you're obsessed with tattoos, you will miss the next generation. If tattoos are a thing, you just cannot do people with tattoos. I just, I just cannot handle these folks with tattoos. We will miss the next generation that are coming through that for some reason are obsessed with tattoos. And the church is saying, mm, I'm not going to say anything to anyone. It's just a hidden bit of sand in my shoe. And the neighbor moves in next door and like, mm. I don't even say it to my wife, but in my heart, it's like, he's got a tattoo. That's unfortunate. <laughs> Guys, let's be honest. And, and maybe uh, you don't go to that work, brah, with someone from your work. Rion. And um, <laughs> it's not the reason, but it's uh, inside. <laughs> Sorry. And. But you just don't, because you, you think maybe they're going to drink a bit too much alcohol. And maybe you're going to hear some, some Buddha that you haven't heard at the fast. You don't hear at home group. And we've snuck back into such a small little hole that we are unbelievably offended by that reality. Let me tell you about Jesus, who's the friend of sinners. And he was accused time and time and again of the places he chose to position himself in. Why? For personal mission. 
And God's got to get inside of our prejudice and our smallness. Prejudice is just smallness. Now, I'm not advocating running into the worst place if you aren't ready for it. I am advocating plug into the one Acts 1 verse 8 power that gives us power for witness and let us be those witnesses that we can embrace people. And if the first time you encounter a homosexual couple, your first reaction is, oh, do you really think you're going to ever win them over? I had the most amazing privilege of sitting with my brother-in-law who was in a homosexual relationship for eight years, encountered the King of Kings three years ago, and is walking with Jesus in the most amazing way. He's sitting with him at a dining room table on Friday night and hearing him tell me, his pastor, brother-in-law, about the grace of God. And I'm going, God, please never make my heart so small that I cannot trust you for healing and wholeness and fullness of mission. And it can't just be on a Sunday. It can't just be on a moment I decide, well, from nine in the morning till five and I'm going to rip people off and seven o'clock I'm going to go live and we're going to pray for people in the hospitals. It cannot be. That is not the church. From the minute I wake up while I'm sleeping until I go to sleep, I am a missionary full of the power of God. And God is saying, will you deal with your prejudices? Will you deal with your smallnesses? And will you allow me to give you energy to get that sand out of your shoes? One last story. We were, thank you, boy. We were, um, we, we went, we're camping. It's about 45 degrees. I've got to be in my bonnet, go for a hike. And I walked about a K and a half and I got a little lost and I kept walking. And then I just thought, I'm just going to kind of go for a run down this road, and I knew kind of where it went, and I ended up running for about 15 or 16 Ks after not running at all. And yes, the next day I had shin splints. I know. I do it every year. And um, it was like this forest gun moment. I just kept running. But, but as I ran along this, this kind of contour, and I came back, and I realized I probably was about three or four Ks from home, but I had snuck down a, a kind of fire break to take a shortcut and got a lot of sand in my shoes. So I'm running along the road. I'm thinking, it's only three or four Ks. But then I thought, I've got three boys who need me to be able to play with them tomorrow, and they don't need Dad to have shin splints and blisters. So I had to stop. I had to take my shoes off. It's not pleasant taking your shoes off after 12 Ks in the Cedarburg. I'm just going to tell you. It's not pleasant. Sometimes it's not pleasant to expose what people can't see. When we allow God to deal with the sand, not the obvious bottles to the head, just the sand, our justifiable prejudices, our justifiable sin, when we don't allow God to deal with that in our lives, you know what dries up? Before sometimes our public dries up. Just the ability to love our neighbor. That I'm empowered to do, and it starts with Jerusalem, my family, my neighbors, the wild west coast of Cape Town. Jesus walks. He's been walking a road with his disciples. They've been yana, yana, have stories, yana, yana. Tell us this, we want to be the greatest. No, no, boys, da, 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 tiring. He says, boys, actually, I need a gap. Go, go, go. Go to town. I'm going to sit here by a well. Just, it says it was hot. It says he was tired. Then it says, he started a conversation with the Sumerian woman. 
Samaritan, Samaritan. He started a conversation when he was tired and he was hot and someone of a different gender who no social standing of that day. When I look at Jesus, I see someone who starts conversations with people with way less status in an area where no one would know about. And you know what the result of that one conversation was? A whole city responds to the gospel. Let us be those people. And it starts with getting the sand of our shoes and enduring in the mission. Can we close our eyes for a second, please? Just, I just want to pray for us. I feel like, honestly, this word has been, it's like a, a long time in me. Had to get to a moment where I realized there was some inconsistency. And in to be honest, I hate inconsistency. And I realized there was a little bit of it in me. And a little bit was the journey. And a little bit was the edges were knocked off. And a little bit was just sand in my shoes. But I love Jesus too much to let that stay there. And I know that he loves me way more. I would ask even now, allow the Spirit of God to say, what is that sand in your shoe? Maybe it is prejudice. Maybe it is comfort. Something like comfort. Allow the Spirit of God to deal with it. Because you have a mission. You have called to effectiveness and you called to love people like Jesus did. Thank you, Spirit of God, that you are here. Thank you, Father, for your love, your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you keep taking us and showing us the Father. Thank you that you walked this earth, you sat next to a well, and you loved a woman when you didn't have to, and it when it was inconvenient, so that one day we would walk this earth at moments of inconvenience. Moments when prejudice and pride could kick in. But you gave us power to be witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We give you glory, God.